Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Grab your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, just a couple a couple things real fast. Number one is we've got directory pictures back. Miss Joanna's got them, and she'll be uh, out front after the service. You can grab those. Um, and I've had a few people uh, contact me this week thinking that uh, Miss Lynn in our front office is retiring. Uh, that's not true. Uh, there's another Lynn in this audience today who is retiring, and it's Lynn Wilson. Lynn, uh, right there, she is retiring from a couple years of teaching in the public school system, and we are so thankful for you, and uh, she's having a drop-in today at the church, and so uh, just for clarification's sake, and uh, next Sunday, the 21st, we'll have a, a drop-in also for uh, Laura Owens, uh, our children's director, um, who uh, her last day will be on the 31st, the 31st. And so we're making that transition and uh, praying about what God has in store for us in the days ahead. So you don't want to miss coming and loving her in the days ahead. Now, uh, last week, last week we talked about the disciples' unity, okay? And we're right here in Ephesians chapter 4, and we talked about this idea that unity is about relationship. And it, it's about relationship first with God and then with men. Um, and so as we looked at unity last week, we talked about how the fall undermined and affected all of our relationships, right? Uh, you thought you knew uh, your spouse until you married them. Uh, and then when you married them, you found out things that you didn't know beforehand and those things drove you crazy. And now you probably remember some of your first arguments. Uh, some of you might not have made it off your honeymoon uh, before you began that. But the fall undermined relationships and caused dysfunction and disunity uh, in those relationships. It did it with Adam and Eve and God. And it did it with Adam and Eve. It did it with Cain and Abel. And the fall trickled down through, um, through history. And it reached us. And if you can imagine that, it reached us. And the fall affects us. Last week, we mentioned this, uh, this quote by Ray Steadman. Ray Steadman, it says, There's no question that one of the most destructive forces in the church today is conflict between Christians. Divisions among brothers and sisters have destroyed churches, destroyed lives, and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ into disrepute. And we defined unity last week. We define unity this way. Unity is a gift of God, which is the result of God bringing together people of differing ethnicities, backgrounds, and social classes into one family by faith in Christ. 
Just go back with me for a second. Go back to the original 12 disciples. Would you have liked to have been a witness to some of the campfire conversations with Jesus in the center of it when you've got fishermen, right? You've got tax collectors. You've got the zealot, Simon the zealot. And you've got these kind of interworkings happening in the original 12. Don't you think there were some fiery discussions? I think so. And so you've got these kinds of things in here. You've got all different backgrounds being melded into one family. Last week we talked about how there's uh, unity, and our unity is based or grounded in three things. Number one is in salvation, in the work of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in His resurrection. Secondly, in the body, that we are all a part of the body of Christ. You have been gifted I have been gifted, each of us have been gifted differently, and we fit in the body. We are not, unity is not uniformity, but it is unity in diversity. And in the body, we have unity. And third is in mission. In mission. That Jesus has given His church a singular mission. And the mission is to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And in mission, we have unity. Now, just think for a second. Um, we sat together as a staff, and I've got this fellow on, on staff who is a football player. Uh, his name is Jackson. He might not look like it, but he's huge. And uh, so Jackson um, said, it's like this. And I said, I'm stealing that for Sunday. He said, a, a football team has a lot of different players. But even though there's a lot of difference on the football team, there's a lot of unity on the football team. You've got different sized people. You've got a center, and you've got a safety. Are you with me? The center does, is not made to run fast. The safety is. Jackson was a center. Uh, he's not made to run fast, but don't get in his way, right? And so you've got differences in size. You've got differences in strengths. You've got a lineman and a quarterback, and you don't want a quarterback to be built like a lineman. And you don't want a lineman to be built like a quarterback. Amen? You have different speeds. You've got the offensive line. They don't go anywhere quickly. And then you've got wide receivers and tight ends. And some of you guys are not football fans, and so I have lost you entirely. But here's my point. My point is, somehow, with all these different sizes, strengths, um, and speeds, they're all unified because they all have one mission. And that's to stop the defense and move the ball, or stop the offense and move the ball down and get it in the end zone, which we call a home run, right? For all you football players. And kick it in the goalpost thingies. They're all on the same team. They all have roles to play on the team, and they have a single common goal. And so today, we're going to look at what are the necessary ingredients of unity out of this text here. Let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How? How? Verse 2 really describes the how. It says, with all humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. So I'm going to mention four necessary ingredients today. Humility and gentleness is going to be one ingredient, and you'll see why in a moment. Second is patience. 
And then it continues, bearing with one another in love. That's number three. And then last is all the way at the end of chapter four, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the fourth is forgiveness. So today I want to start with the necessary ingredients of unity with humility and gentleness. And I want you to see in the text that these go together. Some will define humility as thinking less of yourself. And that's true in part because oftentimes we have an overinflated view of self, but it's also thinking of yourself less. So not just thinking less of yourself, even though that's true, but thinking of yourself less. Like Paul says in Philippians true, put others above yourself. Put others above yourself. Now, Psalm 36 is a challenging, hard verse for me. It's not going to be on the screen. You're going to have to write it down and go do your homework later on. But Psalm 36 talks about the one who flatters himself in his own eyes. Flatters himself in his own eyes. To flatter is to build up. Now, you, you know flattery will get you everywhere, especially you children or with your mom today. Um, flattery will get you everywhere. But sometimes we flatter ourselves, and what it says is when we flatter ourselves, it says, so that we cannot find out our sin and hate it. We have an overinflated version of ourself. Humility is defined really well for us through a parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you remember this parable? Jesus says there are two men that come to the temple to pray. Do you remember the Pharisee? He comes into the temple and he says, Oh God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. What a sinner is he? Man, I have done this. I have gone to church. I have paid my tithe. I have done my Bible reading plan. I have done everything that I'm supposed to do. And I thank you that I'm not like that good-for-nothing guy over there. And do you remember what Jesus said about the tax collector? He said the tax collector, he couldn't even lift his eyes up, but he bowed himself low. He beat his breast, and all he could get out was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, which one of these guys is going down to his house justified? He said, it's not the, the Pharisee, rather the tax collector. This is an idea of humility. Jesus defines it really well for us. The tax collector needed mercy and he knew it. The Pharisee needed mercy, but he was ignorant of his need. Why? He had flattered himself in his own eyes. He had an over-evaluation of himself, saw himself as too great. And because of his lack of humility, he was ignorant of his sin and stood condemned before God. Whereas the tax collector of all people went home justified before God. Isn't it good news that Jesus can justify the unworthy? That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. The entrance to the kingdom is empty hands. G.K. Chesterton he was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Y'all know who C.S. Lewis is? Okay, anybody ever heard of G.K. Chesterton? Okay, thank you. All right, few of you. G.K. Chesterton, one time, he lived in London, and, and in that day, one of the letters, letters of the editor in the local paper asked the question, what is the problem in the world today? 
Man, how many, how many pages could you write on what is the problem in the world today? G.K. Chesterton wrote back two words. He said, I am. I am. Don't you think G.K. Chesterton could have written an essay and said, it's this and it's that and it's them, and it's those people and it's this group, it's that crowd, it's this sin, it's this problem. But what did he do? He said, the biggest problem in the world today is me. It's me. What did G.K. Chesterton have that we need? An accurate view of self. He understood his sinfulness. He was humble. And humility in our hearts, listen to me church family, humility in our hearts will always lead to gentleness toward others. Go back to the Pharisee and the tax collector. He had pride in his heart. And what did he not have for the sinner? Gentleness. But when I understand that I'm a sinner and I've been saved by grace, I will give gentleness to those who need it. Humility and gentleness go hand in hand. Are you with me, church family? Secondly, patience. The word for patience literally translated as two words, long-suffering, macrothumia, long-suffering. Now, I have a a question. How, How short are our wicks with people? Come on now, church. I know it's Mother's Day, but don't lie. How, how, especially, how short is your wick when you're behind the wheel of a car? Come on now, somebody. I got wives, elbow, and husbands, right? He's talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. How short are our wicks with other people? Very short. And we say, three strikes, you're out. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Three strikes, you're out of here, buster. Aren't you glad that the Father's Wick isn't short like that. Aren't you glad that he is patient with us? Because don't we need patience? He is patient. Do you remember Peter? Peter one time asked Jesus a question. And I know he was talking about forgiveness, but it makes the point. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who's wronged me? Seven times? And can't you imagine that Peter in that moment was going, seven times is a lot. That's a holy perfect number. And if I say seven times, surely Jesus is going to look at me and say, good job, Peter. Yes, seven's great. He says, no, not seven, but what? Seventy times seven, right? It's this idea of complete perfection. Complete perfection, and and that's God's grace, and God's patience toward us is a 70 times 7 kind of patience and grace. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say three strikes and you're out? Oh, you've lost your salvation now because you've committed three wrongdoings or seven wrongdoings, or even if we say 70 times 7, I sure have committed 490 sins in my life. He's not given an exact number. He's saying, I have perfect patience and grace and forgiveness toward those who come to me with humility. Hebrews 7.25 says this. It says, Jesus, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Do you know why we need to be saved to the uttermost? Because we are sinful to the uttermost. Sinful to the uttermost. And the following verses 
tell us in, in Hebrews chapter 7 that what Jesus' ministry is, is not over. His, he is not sitting up in heaven, sipping on whatever he's sipping on. He's not enjoying, like just laid back in heaven, relaxing, waiting on God the Father to say, it's time for you to go back. Right now, Jesus has an ongoing ministry in heaven. His ongoing ministry in heaven is to intercede on your behalf because of your sinfulness to God the Father, to apply His blood to your every sin that you commit from now into eternity. Isn't that good news? He is long-suffering. He is patient with us. And that is the picture of long-suffering. And our patience toward others starts with humility and gentleness. I need patience too, don't you? Third, bearing with one another in love. Now I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Our prayer verses uh, in our prayer guide for today were out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Or it was the bonus blessing was to read 1 Corinthians 13. This is it gives us a description of love. It's here in Ephesians, it says, bearing with one another in love. Literally, suffering with one another in love or forbearing with one another in love. So this is what it means to suffer one another in love. He gives a perfect example. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I'm delivered up my body to be burned, but I I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Sounds familiar? It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. Question. A a helpful thing for you to do is to take the, the passage in 1 Corinthians and instead of saying love is, and fill in the blank, put your name in there. Read it this way. Ryan is patient and kind. And ask yourself the question, is that true? Ryan is, it does, Ryan does not envy or boast. Is that true? Put your name in there and read it and ask the Lord the question, if this is God's definition of biblical love, do I love well? Am I bearing with one another in love? can't remember off the top of my head which New Testament author says it, but he says, love covers a multitude of sins. The fourth thing we need, okay, so we've, we've heard it, we, we need humility and gentleness, we need patience, we need bearing with one another in love, and we need forgiveness. And I don't mean that we need forgiveness, but we need to forgive. I want you to go in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And I'm going to read through 5, 2. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Forgiveness is a necessary ingredient in unity. Now, there are lots of relationships that are in this room today. Whether it's you have a relationship that's strained with a, a parent or a family member or a friend or your spouse or a church, uh, a church member with you, fellow church member, there are a lot of us in this room who might say, my relationships are strained. So we need to understand what is forgiveness because I know the questions, the questions are kind of pouring through our minds right now. Well, if I forgive somebody... Don't they just get away free and clear? If I forgive somebody, am I justifying what they've done? And the answer is no, of course you're not. Why? Why, if, if I forgive somebody, why is it not true that I'm justifying them or they're getting away free and clear? Because God is judge still. God sits on the throne. God has the perfect plumb line of His Word, and He will hold each one of us accountable for our deeds or misdeeds. Amen? And so forgiveness is when I let go of any right to gain justice from my own thinking. Forgiveness is when I let go of the belief and feeling that I need to somehow see that they're punished for what they've done. Forgiveness is, is when I let go of the, the throat of the one who wronged me. It's when I lay down my weapons. Now listen, look in, look at me. There are some of you who the wrongs that have happened to you, I can't fathom. You have been hurt and betrayed. You have been abused. Forgiveness, in some of these cases, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. If you come to my house and, and you see my wallet on the counter and you steal all of the cash that I have in it, which is probably going to be about $3 on a given day, if you steal my wallet, if you take my money, and forgiveness does not mean that the next time you come over, I leave my wallet on the counter one more time. Forgiveness and reconciliation do not mean the same thing. If somebody has hurt you in a horrible way, forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to invite this person back into your life to open yourself up to that kind of hurt again. But it's, it's when I realize that God is judge and jury. And I let God give out whatever consequence or reward that He sees fit based on His sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient character. That God's ways are always just and right. And forgiveness means that I turn my offenses or those offenses over to the one who is able to deal with them well. What's our motivation? I, I want you to read right here. 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of Christ. God has forgiven us freely and abundantly. Ought we not to forgive others? Do you remember Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant? One servant was forgiven 10,000 talents, which that amount of money today is unfathomable. It's in the billions of dollars. And then he goes away and holds accountable one who owes less than a year's wage. He's been forgiven Fort Knox, right? And he is for, he is he wants to hold accountable the one who stole the change off the penny jar at the local convenience store. We are to forgive. Why? Number one, because it's about our relationship with God. My relationship with God hinges on my willingness to forgive. I want you to note something in the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The as, do you see that? Remember that in the Lord's Prayer? Here's the question. Is God's forgiveness and salvation of me dependent on my forgiveness of somebody else? No, because that would mean that your salvation is by works. But your fellowship with God is dependent on our willingness or unwillingness to forgive somebody who has offended or hurt us. So we cannot have fellowship with God if we're not willing to forgive somebody of what we think they have done to us. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with others. But I want you to understand, forgiveness is also about our personal freedom and joy. Jackson, help me out, brother. We all walk through life. And we all experience different levels of hurt. And at the beginning of my life, I start out with kind of a fresh, a fresh view of life. But then things start to happen. And I have someone hurt me when I'm young whether it's physically or verbally. Have, you could probably remember the words that somebody said to you when you were young. You'll never amount to anything. And when somebody says that, gosh, the weight that you carry. Maybe as a child you were abandoned. Somebody that you loved and you trusted left you. And, and you have been carrying that weight, that, the burden of that offense around for your entire life. 
Maybe your spouse has been unfaithful. Your spouse has said words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Isn't that the biggest lie ever? We carry the wounds of words far longer than we carry broken bones. But you know, these burdens get heavy. And we try to walk around in this life. And we, when we're slandered, when we're accused, the weight that we carried, when, when people have hurt us, broken our trust, we carry this weight around with us wherever we go. And then have you ever felt this way? Lord, I'm tired. Why, why can't I experience joy? Why don't I have peace with you? Why can't I hear you? Are you gone from me? Have you left me? Why can't I worship you? I just want to come and worship. When I read, I don't hear you. And man, I'm tired. Because I've been walking around carrying the offenses of the past. And what we think is that forgiveness is about the other person, the one who's offended me. But what I want you to see this morning is that forgiveness is not for the offender only. It is for them. But forgiveness releases you from the burden of the offense that you're carrying around. Are you with me, church? And gosh, I'm tired. Are you tired? Unforgiveness does not only hurt the one who did the wrong, it actually hurts me too. It, it is poison to me. And you've heard me say it, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that someone else dies. That's what we do when we carry around these weights of the offenses that people have. And we got a chip on our shoulder. Have you met that person? They got a chip and they just can't get rid of it. But forgiveness drains the poison of that offense from our veins. Forgiveness releases the weight that we're carrying around, the burden of the offense. It's freedom for our soul. It's necessary. Not necessarily only for the person who's offended. Not just for unity, but also for joy. For peace. For worship. Some of you, you've been carrying around sin and offenses, thank you, for far too long. But forgiveness heals our own bitterness. And you might ask yourself, well, how do I forgive somebody if, if I'm never going to see him again? How do I forgive somebody if they've never asked me forgiveness? They've never admitted that they need it. How do I forgive them when they've never asked for it? They're so prideful. Prideful. 
we forgive, what's the Scripture say? To imitate Christ. As God in Christ forgave you. How do I know? How do I know when I've forgiven somebody? Look up on the screen here. It's when I leave the justice to God. I stop trying to get them punished. How do I know? It's when I stop allowing the past offense to affect today's relationship with God. So when the past stops affecting my today, that's when I know that I'm moving toward forgiveness. It's, it's when I stop seeing that person's present actions through the eyes of their past failures. And it's, it's when I can ask God from a, a clear heart, bless them. Bless them. Have you ever read the Psalms and you go, I don't know that I could ever pray the prayer like David did. He, some of those imprecatory Psalms are like, God, you know, kill them, root them out. And you go, whoa, I don't know about that. But when we can come, we might never have the, the guts to pray a prayer like that, but, but when we can come and say, God, I, I, I disapprove of what they did, but I'm just asking you to bless them. Now, question, church family, is forgiveness a one-time thing? Does that mean one day I stand up and I say, I forgive you, and then for that day, from that day on forever, your heart is clean and pure, and that, never, that thought never comes back into your mind? No. Forgiveness is constant. It's a process. But it's funny how as the days grow, I think of the offense less and less, and of Christ more and more, that I am able to bless those who hurt me. So you might be here wondering, what in the world is all this junk on the stage? Our, our, our platform looks like we're at the local mulch place. So what we have is we have rocks over here. And each one of these rocks might represent for you a burden. Maybe the burden is, is a broken relationship. Maybe the burden is a, a wayward child. Maybe the burden is somebody who's hurt you. Maybe the burden is that offense that you're carrying around. Maybe the burden is the wrong that you are struggling to forgive. Maybe the burden is something like that. And you're carrying it around... Today, God wants you to lay it down at His cross. Your shoulders are not meant to carry the burdens of life, but His are. What's the Word of God say? Cast all your anxieties upon Him. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today, these are representative. And so, these... Rocks are representative of whatever burden you're carrying. There is a cross here in the middle of the stage. And we want you to come. We're asking you, if you feel led of the Lord, to come. 
to grab your burden, to pray over it, to name it. Be clear, be specific. If the burden has a name, name it. And then take it and lay it. And leave it there. And you might need to spend some time today. I know this is Mother's Day. I'm sure you've got plans. But, but today, I'm, I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. So there are rocks. And this is just a representation of the cross of Jesus Christ. And here, here is are little pieces of paper. And I want... if. If you want to just take a moment on one of these pews and sit down and write down the sins maybe that you've committed. The people that you're struggling to forgive, the, the relationship, whatever it is, and you want to write it down before the Lord, what I'm going to ask is that you write it down and you put it in that water. And it's going to be a visual reminder of the power of the blood of Jesus. Because what's going to happen to that paper is it's going to, and the writing on it, is it's going to dissolve. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah says that he takes our sin and he throws them into the depths of the sea. And in heaven there is no sea. Did you know that? There's no remembrance of sin in heaven. And so this is just a, a representation of what Christ has done. And then we have the Lord's Supper at two stations. And deacons will be stationed there at each table to serve you the Lord's Supper. And so if you need to come through this process, grab your rock, name it, pray, lay it down at the foot of the cross. If you need to write down those things that you're struggling to Get rid of, you write them down, you put them in water, you stir them up, you let the Lord deal with them as He already has, and you ask Him to help you never to pick those burdens up again. And then today is a day where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. After being willing to move through the process in our hearts, maybe there's somebody here that you need to go to need to grab their hand and say, you know, I've been carrying a, a burden. But today is an opportunity. Now, the Lord's Supper, I, I need to just remind you that it's not magical, it's not mystical, it's got no power. It's simply symbolic of the very powerful cross of Jesus that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, and that in his body, broken body and shed blood, that is our only hope of salvation. And so if you're not a Christian today, the Lord's Supper is not for you, but if you want to become a Christian today, it sure can be. If you have children with you who are not believers, it's not for them either. It's going to bring a great gospel conversation. But would you, just for a moment, deacons, would you take your places? And if you are not able to get up and come down, we've got a deacon who will be willing to bring you the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? I'm going to say amen, and then 
you get to respond to the Lord in any of these ways or all of these ways today. Father, today is a day that I, I have believed for a long time that you want to do big things in our church's life. We have been carrying around burdens. It's the burden of sin that we're holding on to, offenses that we're holding on to, broken relationships that we're holding on to, our own sin that we can't seem to forgive ourselves of. And Father, today... We hear the words of John chapter 8. Jesus says, the, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Father, today we're asking that you would restore the joy of the Lord to us. The peace that passes understanding. Unity that we need. And Father, that you would move in our hearts move in our lives today that we might walk with you in this joyful, abundant life once again. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Ken and Pastor...